Well, indeed, how are level-headed Christians to respond to the current events that we see around us every week? I just read this morning that uh, apparently there was another ISIS video that came out showing the beheading of 10 Syrian soldiers, and it was announced that Peter Kassig, the guy we mentioned a few weeks ago uh, from the United States, actually from Indiana, was beheaded as well. immense amount of not only turmoil, but evil goes on in our world. There was evil and corruptness in the day of Jesus Christ, too. The disciples asked Jesus, um, what's going to be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. And Jesus taught them, and we've been looking at it in these weeks. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise, nation will fall. There will be pestilence and famines in all kinds of places. But these are merely birth pains of what is yet to come. People will walk and turn away from the faith. The love of most will grow cold. It's sort of a dire picture, and you're going like, really? That was 2,000 years ago. And it just continues to get ratcheted up from one year to the next. But Jesus spoke those words in Matthew 24. It was called the Olivet Discourse when he sat down and he began to share with his disciples how they needed to respond to events such as what was just on the screen. We need to respond. But how do we respond? We are not passive spectators in the global scene. We are active participants in what God wants to do in this world. And again today, Jesus has instructions for us concerning how we need to respond to the unfolding of current events. Our series title has been this, Left Behind No More. Jesus teaches on the end times and current events. And I hope that uh, this has been a little bit of uh, encouragement through these weeks to not just passively be the news reader, but to be mindful that the events that are happening, God had predicted But God has a plan that's going to unfold where all wrongs will be made right, where every tear will be wiped from every eye. We are in the midst of an epic that's ongoing, and we have the end of the story in this book. And the end of the story is Jesus wins, and if you're with Jesus, you win. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who comprise what we know as the church, We win. But the story's not done yet. Because, not that God couldn't bring it to an end and send Jesus Christ back and make all the wrongs right now. He has a plan in store. And part of that plan is for you and I to be engaged with him in the unfolding of his time yet to come. That's why in Matthew 24, verse 14 Jesus predicted, he said, and what? When this gospel of the kingdom is preached as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. This week I had the opportunity um, uh, to just step back and reflect on this series and uh, ask myself the question, have we drilled down where we need to drill down? Are we good enough? Because we'll finish it out next week. But I'm not sure 
that in the midst of our journey we've been on talking about um, all these things of the end times, that some of the weight of what Jesus presented to his disciples has weighed on us. And I'm not here to like throw a big heavy, but the reality is this was a serious matter then. And it should be even more of a serious matter now that we as followers of Christ are mindful of the end of the story and that we are realigned with what he is calling us to do with our lives today. And that we cannot just glibly move past the series. What's next, Carrie? Let's take on another series without really asking the Lord to press home to us the weight of the concern that he has that we would be mindful of his return and that we would be transformed in our lives and our actions and our responsibilities and our agendas and our schedules and our initiatives because of that. I'd like to just pray briefly before we step back into God's word with us today, will you? Jesus, with the weight of your spirit, I pray that you would bring conviction to us as your followers even if we're seekers here this morning and we've never crossed that line of decision to be a follower of yours, I pray, God, that your spirit would bring conviction to our hearts concerning the reality of this world, this epic that we are a part of. Lord, not in a squamish kind of way or a false guilt kind of way, but may you unload your burden for the people of this world on our hearts For yet, this is the day, the time of salvation, when changes can be made in people's lives. We know that when you come again to Lord Jesus, whether that be visibly that we see your return or when we pass from this world into the next, we know that today is the day of salvation and there is a limitedness to the opportunity for us to follow you and be obedient to your call as your servants today. So, Lord, I pray something we don't normally lead off praying for. I pray, God, for conviction in our hearts concerning your word to us today. In your name, amen. In Matthew 24 and 25, you could piece these verses together concerning the end. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man, it says in verse 30, will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. The whole earth. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. I had the opportunity this week to take a a graduate class, which was actually a series of lectures in Pasadena at Fuller Seminary for uh, a program that I'm in. And when I was uh, sitting there, I was uh, captivated by the diversity of the room that I was in, in this auditorium. And literally there, there were people from all four corners of the world. And we were there in these lectures, and we were studying about a gentleman who had been a missionary to India and also had a large influence in other people's lives. His name is Leslie Newbegin. And Leslie is a missionary that I quoted a few weeks ago. 
And I want to come back to the quote that I used a few weeks ago as it relates to the Lord's coming. He said, the church is the sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's reign. Now, the title of the lecture series was The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. And so Newbegin was very adamant that uh, we wake up and realize how pluralistic our whole world is. You know, we have a certain demographic here. There is, even though there may be some ethnic and socioeconomic diversity in this room, we are all culturally from a certain kind of place. But there are all kinds of cultures and places and beliefs, not only around the world, but even within our own valley. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ that we are called to steward. Remember, I said when this gospel of the kingdom is preached uh, to all the world, as a, a witness to all the world, then the end will come. Well, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of which we expound today, how does that impact in a pluralistic, diversified culture? And what do we need to learn? So that's sort of what the theme of the whole uh, few days I was uh, involved in these lecture series was about. But Leslie Newbegin, one of the things he was mindful of is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, even as I want to present it to you today, has to be incarnated, embodied through a local body of people. And so the, the mission, if you will, goes forward from the church, the local church. And the local church, this church, a church you might have grew up in, a church you may be visiting from today, the church, Leslie said, is the sign, the instrument, and the foretaste of God's reign. And he's simply saying this. This body of people, body of all Christ followers, of course, around the world, but let's say this body of people here, we are a sign of God's reign of his kingdom that's coming. That means we're evidence. We are here because of Kerry Bowman. No! We are here because it's just a nice name for a church. We are here because, you know, it's close to our neck of the woods. We are here for one reason. And that's because Jesus Christ died on a cross, was raised from the grave. He broke the power of sin and Satan. And he promised us an abundant life if we will but choose to follow him. We are here as a sign of the reign of God that has already come on this earth. And not only us, but literally around the world, people gathered on this Sabbath day, the Lord's day, to worship Him. Why? Because we are a sign that God's reign has come. But we're not only a sign that God's reign has come, we are also an instrument of God's reign. Beheadings. Not only around the world, corruption at home, disappointment, pain, sorrow, heartache, weariness, depression. You name it, our world's full of it. Your life's full of it. Maybe you find yourself in one of those difficult places here even this morning. And you say, yeah, we sing God's reign and all that's nice coming here. But I am in here in this room this morning in a huge amount of pain, and I don't see God anywhere close in my life. Well, I want you to know, we as a church are called to be the instrument of God's reign in the lives of people today. And so we just don't sit and we sing and long for the Lord Jesus Christ to return, right? We are to be His instrument. The reign of God comes close to people 
when you take the love of Jesus and engage in their life. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within the lives of people who are followers of Jesus. And then we go forth as individuals, as families, as teams, as small groups, as missional communities, whatever. And we bring the presence and the hope and the reign of Christ. We are his instrument of his reign. And then the last one, the foretaste. Can you imagine when Jesus comes and he wipes evil from this earth? When Satan is cast into what the scripture at the back of the book refers to as the lake of fire. When all wrongs are made right. And Jesus has a physical reign as we've talked about. Boots on the ground. The millennium kingdom and beyond into a new heaven and a new earth. If you are a follower of Jesus, you get to be a part of that. And so the church, the followers of Jesus, we are a foretaste of that which is to come. And one of the things I can't encourage you more about is to be engaged in the body of Christ and what is going on in a local community like this. Oh, do we have our warts and our problems and our bumps and our bruises? And do we wear on one another sometimes? You bet. Why? Because we're all sinful, fallen people. But we, we are a foretaste of God's reign that is to come. And so there's a beautiful vision that God intended for the church, the local church even to be. And that is that we are to be, as Newbegin states, the sign that his reign is here. The instrument of moving his reign forward into our community and to the marketplace. And the foretaste, the hope of that which is to come. Now, I don't know about you, and in this conference, they didn't spend a lot of time. I don't even think they mentioned this verse. I think I'm going to write my paper on that phrase of his. But we have something that is precious here as a community. And we need to steward it well, encourage one another champion one another well because Jesus when he can you picture him on the Mount of Olives trying to explain all this he's got his disciples weary about what's going to happen because he's heading to the cross after that they don't know what's going to happen there is no church that exists they're just Hebrew people have come to believe that he's the Messiah and they don't have the whole picture of things he is leaning into them and he is casting for them a beautiful vision of what it means to be the church though that word didn't exist then church it's not the building the structures and the pews and the chairs and the programs it's us as a people and he has this beautiful vision he leans into and he says i want you to understand that you are going to be the sign the instrument and the foretaste of the god's reign and so we have something precious to steward, but we have something that we need to, to weigh into and allow the conviction of God to come upon us about because we need to be diligent about what we're to do until he comes again. We have a job description. This church can't just go out and, and paint its own little vision statement. That vision statement has to be tied directly into what Jesus leaned into his disciples on the Mount of Olives and said, this is what needs to be happening and what needs to be going on. Now, we've defined our vision statement as the awakening church as what? Becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission. 
And so we champion one another, whether you're a believer in Jesus or just a doubter or a seeker here this morning. We, we challenge one another to become alive internally with Jesus Christ, that his spirit's there. But then we take that hope that we've been given and we go on mission with Jesus. Because the gospel is a gospel that's not supposed to be sitting on a shelf, plugged away in a church. It's supposed to be something that is on the road. Through us, as a body of people, the hope and the good news. And so, we cherish it, this community we have, and then we own up to say, teach us, Jesus. Teach us what we need to do. So with that, Jesus takes his turn in Matthew 25, and he exhorts them quite clearly what to do as a result of his exhortation to watch Because you do not know the day that your Lord is coming. How do we watch? How do we watch and be ready? He goes into three parables, and we've covered two of them. The first is the parable of the household servant and the master. In Matthew 24, verse 45 to 51. And he exhorts them there. And then he exhorts them in the parable of the ten virgins and the bridegroom. And we looked at last week in Matthew 25. And today, we're taking on his third story, his third parable, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I've said this before, Jesus is the master communicator. And one of the reasons he's a master communicator, because he was a master storyteller. And so, here was his stories. Don't you sort of like fade? I was fading this week in some of the lectures, because there was some heady stuff, different dialogue going on, different people speaking here and there, open mics and all that was good. But I tell you what, I would start to fade if it was a lot of content that I need to put into my head. But the moment somebody told a real-life story, what do you do? You perk up. Oh, well, I can relate to that. I can relate to that, right? Well, Jesus, the master communicator, master storyteller, he exhorts them about the end times. This is what's going to happen. This is what needs to be. you need to be mindful of as the church, as the hope of the world. But you need to watch and be ready. Maybe they were drifting a little bit on the Mount of Olives. I don't know, but he leaned into him. He says, let me tell you some stories. Now, the stories are made-up stories, but they reflected the culture of that time. All right? They reflected the culture of that time. The first story we looked at was the story of the household servant and master, and we stated that from that story, he exhorted them to do this. Keep watch and be ready by building up and exhorting one another to believe and obey the word of God. The servant was to feed the household. And the word of God feeds us and exhorts us. So as we watch and be ready, we need to be diligent and exhorting one another not only to believe but to obey the word of God. This book here contains life. Not because life is in pages and ink. But this points to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So keep watching, be ready by building up and exhorting one another to believe and obey the word of God. We said that's sort of some of the story, uh, the point of the story that he told there. And then the second story was the story we looked at last week, the story of the ten virgins, the bridesmaids. In that story, we summed it up by saying this last week. Keep watch and be ready by procuring saving grace in advance through genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. 
if we're going to watch and be ready, then we need to make sure that we have oil for our lamps. Half of the bridesmaids didn't have oil to keep their torches lit. They were out when the bridegroom came, and the others who had oil to keep their torches lit were invited into the wedding feast. They were invited into the wedding feast, all that representing that even in a room like this, there's maybe a mix of people who have taken into their life, appropriated the procuring, saving grace in advance through genuine repentance and faith in Christ. On that final day, you will be excited if you are ready and invited in, but you will be crushed and devastated if you weren't ready, if you were, excuse me, playing the game of church and Christianity, but you didn't have the real thing. Harsh words for those who were not ready, who were just fake wannabes, all right? But they had never surrendered the will of their life to say, I'm going to be a Jesus follower. All right? So it was a strong word of warning. And they understood very well the story of the ten virgins and bridegroom because of the culture that day. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to um, how we unpacked that story last week. But the story we have this week is the parable of the talents and servants that follows right here on the hills. And he's going to exhort us in another measure what we need to do as a local church to watch and be ready. To watch and be ready. I've titled it The Invested Servants. I'm not going to put the scripture up there. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes you have your scripture and you can look on your little smartphone or whatever. Sometimes you have books, whatever. I don't care. This is what I do care about right now is that you put yourself in a disposition as if Jesus is speaking to you the story just like he spoke to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. How many of you would go for that trip right now if you could do it? All right. Then let's gather around on the Mount of Olives, lean into Jesus. Here's the story he tells them. Again, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another one, one talent. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had received the one talent came. 
Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you do not have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. Here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Do you? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who, is, who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, okay, Jesus. Thank you very much. This story is a story of action. It's in contrast, if you will, with the story of the ten virgins. They were waiting. They were watching. They grew tired. They fell asleep. All of that is common unto life as we wait for the Lord Jesus' return. And those who were ready with the oil, the saving grace, were there when the party began. But it's a passive type of parable that we looked at last week. This is not a passive parable. This parable points us to action, and it points us as a church body to action. Because we do not sit around and toddle our thumbs, as I've mentioned, and just sort of wait for the Lord's return. We have been given a huge gift called time to be busy about the Lord's agenda. And so whether that's in your home, whether that's in your work environment, whether that's in your recreational arenas, you are being sent out to be the active servants of God. And so he's exhorting them, through this story of the invested servants to get off their tush. Okay? Now, later on, we find out with uh, Paul and some of the Christians at Thessalonians, they were having this problem. They were sitting around just sort of waiting for the Lord's return because they thought he was going to come back immediately. Now, we see it's been 2,000 years, so we have a little bit more measured time that he may or may not come back in our lifetime, right? If he does, then praise God, but he may not. But he had a problem, Paul did, with some of the early Christians because they were sitting around on their tush. And he said, get working. Get busy. It says in um, the very first phrase of this, you could almost repeat what's up from the previous parable. It says, again, it will be like. Again, what? Well, verse 1 of chapter 25, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so you could repeat that here. Even some translations do. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. Now, a journey back then, some of you, uh, even in this room, you have been in uh, other cities this week. You have been in other states this week. Some of you have been cross-country this week. Some of you have been in other countries this week. 
we get in cars and vehicles and airplanes and we go places and we come back. But in those days, if you were like a master and you needed to go on a journey, you would be gone a long time. Sometimes up to a year. They knew that. So when he's leaning into them and telling them this story, okay, the kingdom of God is like somebody who decided to go on a journey. And the journey was going to take a long time. So he called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, of course, what's Jesus doing here? He's putting himself as the king who will reign in the position of the master who calls the servants together. Here's Jesus. I mean, knows knows the big picture of the epic story. He's talking to Peter, James, and John, and Peter's brother Andrew, and he's leaning into them on the Mount of Olives, and he says, you know, here, let me sort of tell you a story here about something. I'm not going to put your names in it. I'm just going to keep it a little generic. So people through 2,000 years and forward can sort of identify with it. But he's putting himself in this story as the master who went away on a journey. Because his physical presence was soon to disappear from them. After Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to people on and off for 40 days, but then he ascended to the heavens. So he went on a journey back to the right hand of the Father. He disappeared physically from them, but these servants were left. And these servants were to steward what? Their own belongings? No. They were to steward his own property. This world and all that's in it is the Lord's. We looked about that in our last series, actually, in the whole area of stewardship. It's all God's. And we steward what he's given us to hold lightly for these years. And so he's telling them the story about a master who goes on a journey, who's away for a long time. And when he's gone for a long time, he's expecting his servants, the people that work for him, who identify with him, who get their monetary means from him. He's expecting them, that group of people, to carry on business while he's gone. And so he divides up some of his wealth and he gives it here in this story, to three particular people. Now, one of our problems with this story, with this parable, is the word that's used concerning how he divides up some goods. It's the word talents. And so when we think of talents, we start to interpret this story about the talents, the physical abilities, all right, and other abilities that God gives to each of us. So God's giving certain Talents here and certain talents there and certain talents. No, the word talent here was a weight measurement. And it had to do um, with the weight of a money provision. We don't know if it was silver or gold. It was probably silver. But, you know, he's saying, I'm going to give you a certain weighted amount of silver worth thousands of dollars. Now, I want you to take this talent and I want you to steward it well because I'm coming back. And so to one individual, he gives a hefty amount of weight of silver metal. All right? How many is it? Five. To another one, he gives two. And then he picks out another one and he gives that one one. Now I want you to know the one who got one didn't get gypped. Why? Because it wasn't his. What about the one that got two? He get chipped? Nope. It wasn't his. What about the one who had five? His? No. It's all the masters. 
He's just giving them an assignment during this time that he's gone to take his provision and to make things happen. Get off your tush. Be engaged in the business. So don't take it as if, oh, my gosh, he got ripped off. We live in a culture, do we not, where uh, that's where our mind goes. All right? Now, they were given this weight of metal to steward. But they were given it according to their ability. So it's not a story about the abilities given to them, but that each of the three already had abilities given to them, and the master decided according to how this person's able to make things happen, I'm going to give them five. And according to how this person can make things happen, I'm going to give them two. And to this one, I'm going to give one. Again, it's none of their own business, it's some monetary means, but he makes this decision. Now, one of the things we have to reckon with here, and we live in a weird culture that's trying to always, you know, because people do want to ship on others and we want to make sure everybody's able to, to have opportunity, that kind of thing, and all that's beautiful. It really is. But the reality is, folks, how God's created this world and how he's created human beings, he has given some people greater ability than other people. That doesn't mean that they're more worthy or worth more. It's just the fact of life. And part of the reason it's the fact of life is because that person's ability can bring honor to God no matter what size or horsepower they have in their own life. I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going, to, I'm going to grab my son. Levi, stand up. This is my son, Levi. I love Levi. If you have never met Levi, Levi is a part of our family. He is my third boy, our third boy. And uh, I thought when God gave us boys, and we got a girl too, um, that um, we, uh, I would have some similarity. I grew up with two brothers. We, all three of us, are sort of similar. We all sort of worked the farm together with my father, and, and uh, we all played sports and did different things, all right? So when I thought we would have multiple kids, I was looking for sameness. Guess what God gave us in our family? Differentness. My oldest, very gifted in ways, is an artistic kind of person. In fact, he's in town today with his cinematic arts crew uh, looking at framing up some filming spots at Lake Skinner. He's a senior at APU in cinematic arts and business. My junior, I mean, my second one, is a senior in high school. And uh, he has five more weeks. He's finishing up in Indianapolis. And he called me all excited about some things. He's looking opportunity to do this summer to go on a missions trip and be a part of a spiritual formation process. And he's pretty pumped and hyped. And, and uh, he is uh, wired for sports and activity. He's different than his oldest brother. Our youngest girl we adopted from China. She's full of life and, and other kind of energy, and we love her a lot. And she is definitely different. This one came along, the third boy, though. And Levi was a surprise in many ways. But Levi, we love a lot, don't we, Levi? Yes. <laughs> Tell him the story of your life. And God gave us Levi 
And Levi has tons of potential and opportunity and love, and he plays the air band better than any of you do on a Sunday morning during worship. Right? We love Levi. Levi has taught me more. Probably than any of my other kids. And we love him. I couldn't help go through this parable and this point that God appropriates to each of us according as he desires without it reflecting in my own personal life and some of the huge lessons he's taught to me. And I give you that story of my personal life to let you know this. No one in this room is not loved by Jesus Christ equally. But everyone in this room is different according to abilities. Levi did the buddy walk. Was that last week? The Down Syndrome buddy walk. That's a whole community of kids and adults who are deeply loved by God. But they have not been given some of the natural ability to do certain things in life. But I tell you what, when all said and done on the final day, it doesn't matter what we have been given with the weight of gold according to our ability. It's what have we done with the life that God has given us and the opportunities at hand. I tell you, one of the keys for a church like this to move forward and be a powerful witness in this community is to realize the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come together as broken, fallen, sinful human beings. So don't get a cocky attitude. And also, don't demean the value of who you are. So he takes this parable and his stories and he leans into them and he says the master's gone away for a long journey and he happens to have some provisions that are passed out. And so he passes these provisions out and he's expecting them to do what? He's expecting them to do something with the talents that have been given to them. And so it says here that the man who had received the five talents in verse 16 went at once and put his money to work and gained five more so also the one with two talents gained two more. I don't know what it means to go to work, but I do know that each of us have been given certain abilities or the weight of our life to be able to put it into work. And there's an expectation that whatever has been entrusted to us with this word talent, we're going to define that in a second, whatever's been entrusted to us with these talents, we are inspected to invest on behalf of the one who owns it. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, I want to grab a hold of this word talent. This word talent is talking about something that's a provision that's owned by God. This talent 
is something that varies from one person to another. This talent is something we are expected to risk as an investment. And this talent is going to show up on the final day as it reflects faithfulness to whatever it is. If you take all that and you try to put it together and figure out, so what is Jesus really saying by talents? If it's not the physical, natural abilities of an individual, you know, and it's, and it's not really the weight of money. We understand it's the weight of money uh, in the story, but what's Jesus really getting at that he's holding these servants accountable for while he's gone? And I believe, as many other authors and, and students of this parable have gone towards, that the talents represent opportunities. Opportunities. To the person who's extremely gifted in multiple ways, there's more opportunities going to come their direction. Five talents worth of opportunities. And to the one who has two talents worth, according to their ability, they're going to have opportunities that come their way, but two talents worth of opportunities. And the one who has the one talent, uh, you know, maybe not as strongly gifted as some of these others, equally so, they are going to be given opportunity. And so we move forward in life stewarding the opportunities God gives us to make things happen in his kingdom. The church, the church is the sign, the instrument, and the foretaste of God's reign. It has to do with that instrument part. We as individuals, we as families, we as, as, as communities that come together in, in, in community groups or church-wide, we have been given talents and opportunities, and we see those as things we need to take action on because we know the Lord Jesus is returning. And so we best get off the tush and be busy about the opportunities that he's setting before us. Because the master can come back, and when the master comes back, he's going to inspect what you did with the opportunities given to you on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, yearly basis, a life season basis, your whole life. There is a day of accountability that it comes for those of us who are seeking to be his followers, and there's going to be some inspection of our work. And so this parable is one about action. It's not one about being passive. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. It's the word reckoning. Some of you are financial people, CPA people or something. We're going to look at the books. So he's going to settle accounts. Let's open it up and see what we did. (laughs) Come on, gather it around. Okay. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. I love verse 21. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. And then his master, guess what the master said to the number one? Well, the one with two. He said the exact same thing, word for word, that he said to the guy with five. Why? It doesn't matter the amount of opportunities you've been given based on your abilities. It matters what you do with what you've been given. So don't do the comparison thing. Just own up to what you've been given and saying, I, I need to be responsible for this. 
Now, listen to what there's two, the, the, these two servants, the five and the two, are commended in three ways. Well done, good and faithful servant. The first thing that the master does is he speaks a verbal word of commendation. I believe that all of us, when we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, and if you will, we pass the test, <laughs> he will look at us and he will tell us verbally, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did everything that uh, Joe Schmo was supposed to be doing. No. You did all that I set before you and sought to faithfully fulfill my purposes. He gives a verbal word of commendation. And friends, not only in the day to come, but I believe through his spirit, his still small voice, some of you need to be listening to that right now because Jesus just wants to simply say to you, like he was talking to those disciples on the Mount of Olives, Well done, good and faithful servant. Stop beating yourself up. You really are trying and you're doing well being faithful with the opportunities I've given you. It may have been an opportunity to just encourage somebody this last week and put your hand on your shoulder and say, you know, you're doing a good job yourself. Maybe it was that you were able to to send a prayer heavenward on behalf of somebody that was laid on your heart. Maybe you saw somebody at work that, you know, just needed encouragement. So you bought them lunch this last week. You were being used by God, an instrument of God's reign in the everyday place of life. And God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. There was an opportunity given. You saw it. You took the talent and you moved forward with it. So there's a verbal word of commendation. And then the second thing he says, as you have put, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, I love this part of it because I can't, I can't, I got to hold back today to go for that. We've talked about it before. We've had the big chart up there, everything, you know, what the age we're in, the age to come, millennial reign, that kind of thing. I believe what this is referencing is that what we are given the opportunity to do on the other side of heaven and into eternity is determined by what we do with the opportunities we do today, we have today. To whom much is given, I'm going to give more. So in this natural world, you've been faithful with these things, but I'm going to now give you spiritual things in the realm to come. Heaven is not boring. It's just not. A God who created the diversity in the world. Do you think he's got a boring heaven? No way. Do you think he has a boring new earth that he's going to create? No way. And it's going to be populated with people who love and follow him. And there's going to be assignments and things we get to do. But what we get to do and how we get privileged then will be determined by what we do now. Now I'm looking back here at Cheka. Cheka, you get a new body someday, right? When Jesus comes. A skinny one. One that can stand. One that can run. Right? How you... How each one of us are faithful in the opportunities God's given before us today will determine what we get to do with that new body and those new assignments in the age to come. And so take this to heart. There's a verbal word of commendation, but there's also a commendation related to opportunity for us in the future. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Of many things. And maybe it's not just into eternity. Maybe it's in your next season of life. It's been one of the lessons the Lord's been teaching me deeply on a personal level in the last decade probably. Carrie, just be faithful with the opportunity that's set before you. 
And maybe that faithfulness for you if you're a mother today is to be faithful in your home with your kids and for you to raise them with a biblical worldview and a heart that's endeared towards God if they so are able to choose. Gentlemen, maybe you're stuck in a dead-end job. But you're there for a purpose, and God's given you an opportunity to encourage some others and influence things. You just be faithful. You don't know what's coming down into the future, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. So there's a verbal commendation. There's also a commendation as it relates to opportunity in the future. And then it says this, come and share your master's happiness. Now, I don't like really the word happiness there. It says more of the word joy, your master's joy. In Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, including its shame. But then he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you realize that Jesus has a deep sense of joy because he finished the work God called him to do here on earth? And he knows that that defining work is going to bring about the end of the epic or into the future eternity of the epic. And there is a joy in his presence that he has. If you are faithful with the opportunities given you, well done, good and faithful servant. I have more things for you to do, but receive my joy. Receive my joy. So he gives those three to any faithful servant as it relates to the talents here this morning. But then the story goes on. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, what's that servant saying there? It's like, yeah, you make us do the hard work. You take off and have a vacation for a whole year. We're the ones that created the produce around here. We're the ones that made things happen. He's got an edge on him. Doesn't he have an edge on him? He has this edge. It says, so, verse... 25, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. That's what they did back then. Uh, They would bury treasure. In fact, you've heard about buried treasure. Step it off so many feet this way, so many feet that way from that tree, that rock, and they'd just bury it, right? He knew that his master would probably be tough and hard, but he really was, you know, I'm just going to go bury it. So when he comes back, I can just give it to him and say, here, I didn't squander it, all right? Well, that did not go well. Because he comes back, the master does, and he says this. You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, do you? Okay, then I'll take your words and turn them on themselves. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, they did have banks, our bankers then, Roman world. They say it's probably maybe 12% they would loan money out. And if you put money in it, you'd probably get 6%. So he could have at least got 6% interest maybe if he would have taken it to one of the banking systems of that day. But he didn't. He just buried it. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing He buried it, not because he was trying to be frugal and not lose it. He buried it because he didn't want to have to deal with it or think about it. 
are you bearing opportunities that God has set right before you because you don't want to have to deal with the risk factor, the challenge factor, or the responsibility factor of getting up and making something happen with that opportunity. Do not bury the talents of opportunities God's setting before you on a daily, weekly, yearly, lifetime basis. The Master's returning and He wants to see you take your talents of opportunity and increase not your wealth, but the wealth of the kingdom. Jesus stood up before the followers in His very early days when He started His ministry. And He took the Scriptures and He opened the Scriptures The scriptures of that day, of course, were the Old Testament. And he took and he turned to Isaiah. He turned to Isaiah and he began to read these words on a scroll in front of them. He said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Jesus took on the opportunity he was called to, to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures to the poor, the lost, the broken. Will you take on the calling he's giving you to do the same? So I summarize this as how we can watch and be ready according to the parable of the talents and the servants. Keep watch and be ready by seizing God-sized opportunities to invest in Christ's service and kingdom expansion. We as a church have been given talents as well as a community. Will we in this valley be on mission to see people come fully alive and to the mission of Christ? Or will we just go our merry way and enjoy the favor of the Lord that we experience every day merely because we've been saved and we know he's coming back? The parables he told concerning watching and waiting, there was not this passivity, even the one of expecting his return with the virgins as one of trying to be alert to the wedding party's coming. But the one we look at today is the one that really exhorts us to get moving. Stay faithful. Open your eyes. Be engaged. Take what God's given you and move forward his kingdom by reaching those who need to be reached and rescuing those who need to be rescued. Maybe you're one of those that need to be rescued here this morning. Jesus Christ can do that if you'll turn your life to him. But today, outside these walls, in many cracks and crevices, there are people that need to be rescued by our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way it's going to happen is if we are faithful as invested servants to fulfill the responsibility of what's been given to us individually and as a body. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and they're going to conclude with a couple songs. And the first has to do with the aspect of us being on that rescue mission to be able to seek and to save those who are lost. May you take this time of worship to be able to thank him for what he's doing in your life. And may you lay your life back before him.
to say, take my life and use it as one of your servants until you come again to make things happen for people to find you. The ushers will come after a while to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connection cards. But let's worship the Lord together in spirit of thanksgiving for what he has done and with petitions of declaration concerning what we need to be doing. Thank you.